Welcome to the RevRec Gals podcast, where two consultants with over 30 years combined experience share stories about the implementation and challenges of revenue recognition accounting. I'm Susan. And I'm Natasha. And And we we are are the the RevRec Gals. Welcome back to another episode of the RevRec Gals. We are super excited to start talking about revenue systems. We're actually going to have a few episodes to cover the topic because it is so complex. Today, we'll be giving a little bit of an overview of what are revenue systems? What is revenue automation? One of my favorite topics, of course, is how do we make our jobs a little bit easier? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? I guess we don't want to make it too easy because then they won't need revenue consultants anymore. So there's a fine balance here. (laughs) (laughs) There's always stuff that revenue systems can't accommodate. So there's always a need to review the data. It's just a matter of reviewing it instead of spending all your time preparing it. Well, and I think the beauty of revenue automation is that you get to get out of the weeds sometimes and the nitty gritty detailed stuff. And then you get to use your brain power to identify the bigger issues and you get to spend more time in the more complex issues rather than being bogged down in spreadsheets and typos and data. Yeah. And as we've talked about, sometimes those Excel spreadsheets get a little too big. And let's be clear here. I love a good spreadsheet. I love getting (laughs) my hands dirty in a good spreadsheet. But and and to a certain extent, that's where most people start out is spreadsheets. You're tracking things manually, you're calculating things manually. And so this whole conversation is how do we get ourselves out of spreadsheets into a system in a way that functions and flows better? and reduces the level of errors and the opportunities for error, and increases the level of consistency between transactions. The nice thing about the spreadsheet, though, is it forces you to understand what your requirements are and to think through a lot of these questions that you have to answer before you implement a revenue automation system. That's a great point. I have a bias to go early and often into a revenue automation tool, just because I think I've seen what happens when you wait almost too long and then your spreadsheets are out of control. But if you don't have a clear idea of what your revenue policy is, and not only the high level revenue policy, but the actual revenue mechanics, which is what you really get when you build a revenue waterfall in Excel. Once you have those mechanics down, those can really translate into a requirements document in a way that if you didn't have that spreadsheet, you can't do it. And I've seen companies that they have the spreadsheets and they've been working on it, but they haven't taken that next step of thinking about things like what are our stratifications and what are the SSP ranges and that automation forces that question to be answered. And so if you implement a little bit too soon, what might end up happening is you don't ask those questions. They don't make it in the system. Now you're paying for an automation tool, but you're still living in spreadsheets because you're having to take things out of your automation tool, fix it in Excel, and then push it back in at some point in the process. So there's a balance here. You're never going to be 100% automated. That's just reality. You cannot foresee every single scenario. You cannot configure for every single scenario The hope is you get to, I mean, at least 80% of your transactions flowing through without intervention, ideally maybe a little bit higher, like 90%, depending on the volume of transactions and how consistent or templatized they might be. 
it's never going to be perfect. So there will always be some amount of spreadsheets in your life, which makes me happy because I love a good spreadsheet. But <laughs> but I want that spreadsheet to be with, filled with the interesting, complex, not the nitty gritty. There are some things that you just have to accept you're not going to be able to put in there. And some of those like variable consideration, you may have to always do outside the system. Other things like reserves, you may be using a portfolio method, in which case you're extracting data out of the system and then using that to come up with your high level reserve or adjustment. Yeah, that's a good point. Even if you have your quote to cash process automated, there is some periodic analysis that has to happen that might be done outside of the system, but it would be done based on the data you have in the system. Being able to extract consistent data is important. So with that, I mean, when I think of revenue automation, I think of the entire quote to cash process. So before we get too far into it, I think we need to go over at a high level, what is our quote to cash process so that we can understand what are the different pieces that are getting automated and how they connect together. But at this high level, we can sort of contextualize what the different systems are. So we are going to talk about the whole end-to-end process and companies may or may not implement different pieces of it. I mean, some of it, like a billing system and a GL, everyone's going to have. But some of the other ones that we talk about, they're options. And some companies have them and link them together. Some companies have them and don't link them together. And some companies don't have them, but may be thinking about it. So I think it'll be helpful to understand all of these so companies can make a decision on what they want. Yeah. And and sometimes it happens over time. You start automating one piece of the process and then you add on other pieces. And the other thing is too, is you can implement it, but not necessarily automate everything. And you may still be required to do some manual work within a system, depending on what level of implementation you opt for. The nice thing about understanding all of these is if you are only going to implement one at a time that you're thinking about how it could impact another application if you then later decide to install it. And I think that's really important because they're all interdependent on one another to an extent, because what flows in one system is going to flow to the next. Why don't we start at the very beginning at the quote side of things, where I see most of this start is with the CRM, customer relationship management. And by far the one I see the most is Salesforce. I know there's many other tools out there that can be used, but for the types of customers or clients that I work with, most of them are in Salesforce. The nice thing about the CRM is that's where you can hold a lot of your customer information. An offshoot to that, you may have this CPQ module, configure price quote module, where you're going to want to have all of that product and order information that's then going to flow down to your revenue system. Some companies I see, they hold their price list in their CBQ system. The nice thing is it does support and more complicated quotes and configurable quotes, but it's really, it's a nice tool that standardizes how these orders are being created. One of the things I see is how to deal with discounts. So are you putting your discount on a single line? Are you assigning your discount to different products? If that can be configured here to flow to your billing system, then sometimes that helps your downstream. 
what other things do you see with the CPQ system that's really helpful for the revenue allocation? From my perspective, Salesforce has always been an amazing tool, but I think sometimes people try to force Salesforce into doing things that it can't do. What Salesforce does really well is it works as a cross-functional source of the truth related to customers, customer relationship, the status of a negotiation, and capturing a lot of that history. It can store the contracts really well, the orders pretty well. And I think historically what I saw is that you would have a deal desk function or a contract operations function working usually within a you know, a sales organization, somewhere in between sales and legal and accounting, orchestrating the contract negotiations. And as part of that, usually you had some concept of an SOW or order form or term sheet that was being passed around. And in that quote process or that quoting to the customer, which would eventually make it into an order form, was a lot of manual work. You'd have a template, but people were updating that template manually and using some sort of internal pricing calculator that often existed within Excel. And maybe there was version control issues. And just like anything that's done manually, it can become kind of a nightmare to orchestrate different versions across different people within an organization and make sure you have consistency across the board. And then importantly, make sure you have enough consistency so that the downstream systems operate correctly. And so I think the advantage of using something like a CPQ is to put controls around that, put controls around what item numbers are being used, what quantity is being used, what formatting you know, methodology is being used. Maybe there was an old version of a product and now there's a new version of a product. Maybe it's being packaged differently. When was the cutoff or crossover to the new version? And how are you going to make sure that someone doesn't accidentally sell the old version that now your systems no longer support? <laughs> so I think there's a huge benefit to having controls around that configuring, that pricing, that quoting function to really optimize the way your downstream systems work. I know that a lot of people used Salesforce and then maybe they used another CPQ tool on top of it. I think since Salesforce acquired Steelbrick, I don't remember how long ago that was, now Salesforce has its own CPQ. There's a movement to going in that direction and to automating that step in the process. You also mentioned contracts. So there's a lot of contract terms that we've talked about before, which impact revenue. The easy ones are payment terms and shipping terms, but you could have termination for convenience. You could have extended warranty. You could have all kinds of other rights in there. A lot of times companies that I see, they just have a folder where they've saved all of these contract review files and they maybe have some kind of tracker for all the non-standard terms. But it is nice when a company has a contract database where they can store all this information. And even better, if it links back into your CPQ and auto-populates some of this information so when it flows into your billing system or your downstream systems, you already have that information readily available. I think the very first client that we met on, you're essentially manually creating a contract management spreadsheet <laughs> to track all of those things. <laughs> and I even think the second client we went to, we were doing something 
Sure. That's just the reality is that a lot of companies are creating some sort of master spreadsheet to track their bookings, but not only to track their bookings, they might, whether it's the same file or a file that lives adjacent to it, that tracks all their non-standard terms. What are all my contracts with price protection? What are all my contracts with acceptance? What are all my contracts with non-standard payment terms? It can become very cumbersome. And kind of scary because it's so error prone. You know, how do you know you have completeness? How do you know you caught everything? That has always been something that felt like it should be solved from my perspective. And I also see a lot of times the quotes coming out of your CRM or CPQ system are going to a deal desk. They know the some of the basics of revenue, but there are things that they're not even going to be paying attention to or even know to flag some kind of contract management helps to flag those terms. Unfortunately, I think historically, we haven't had a lot of good solutions for this. For a while now, Clarity has been around and I've worked closely with them. And I've just, I'm really just kind of a nerd and excited about the concept of someone coming in to automate this. I'm sure there's other people doing stuff adjacent to it, but you know, they have a tool where you can essentially like have your own contract review checklist that's automated and that feeds into a database that you can then report on. And so at the very least, you have a source of the truth for all of that. And there's AI functionality that helps you call out those non-standard terms so that heartache around completeness, it makes me feel a little better. As you know, when you're reviewing contract after contract after contract, there's this balance that you have to take of how fast can I get through these contracts? And how accurate can I be? If you're at a company for a while, you get a good sense of that because you know what their template looks like. You can scan a contract quickly. You know how strong the controls are up front in the contract negotiation process, whether something's going to get through or not. Depending on how organized or controlled the contract negotiation and deal desk processes, maybe you don't have to review as closely. But when you don't know what that's like and everything is a free for all, you have to look at every page. And when you're looking at pages and pages and pages, how do you know you've caught everything? One other thing that I was sort of alluding to is this contract negotiation process and the controls around that. That's another area. It's so dependent on your legal team and the deal desk team and your even your sales team and how they work together. And different companies have different cultures around that. Sometimes the sales ops, contract ops, deal desk, whatever you call them, sometimes you have a combination of those teams Sometimes they report to legal, sometimes they report to accounting, sometimes they report to sales. No matter what, you need a sense of what that flow looks like. It can be very cumbersome. So I have seen some automation happening in that space too. Ironclad is one that I've seen a few clients roll out where the legal function is streamlined and that workflow is streamlined in a way that I think accounting benefits from it also with their involvement and even just the comfort of understanding the controls around it so that if something non-standard is coming through, there's a process and a system that is defined where they can be looped into it or at least see the history and how those terms come about. I've seen different ways companies deal with it. Like in one extreme, I remember working at a company where anytime you negotiated with the customer on the contract, it was legal support and revenue. We were on the calls so often we could argue each other's points of view. Then there were other times where legal will do it. And if you were lucky, you would get a preliminary version to review. 
and other companies where you just got the contract and you just had to deal with whatever came your way. And it sometimes depends on the way the company operates, how standardized the contracts are, et cetera, what stage they're in. Are they in an early stage where all they care about is getting the deal versus later stage where they care more about what revenue looks like on a quarterly basis and not having revenue surprises? I did, I was lucky enough to be at a company where one of the legal people started out in accounting. And so he was great because he always knew the accounting questions to ask and when to come talk to us. And it was a really strong relationship. But I've also worked at companies where the legal team didn't want to be slowed down by accounting, whether we actually slow them down is up for a debate, but that was the perception and they were less inclined to come over and have the conversation. So you kind of have to go with what the culture is and hopefully move it towards a collaborative culture where everyone's having open conversation earlier, because I think usually that leads to the best outcomes, but every company is a little bit different. Ideally, you start to have a standardized contract. So instead of always accepting your customer's paper, you've got something to present to them. To your point about the smaller companies is they tend not to have that. And so the more they get toward it, the better. But what's really helpful is if the revenue team provides these guidance to say, hey, if if payment terms are within this range, or you this paragraph, they want to negotiate different variances that that's provided up front to minimize their need to pull you in. And I think that's really received well by the upfront team. I actually think what you're touching on is the first step towards automation. So even if you're in email and spreadsheets, the first step towards automation is providing an approval matrix, language library, an indication to the deal desk and legal teams, and even the sales organization to empower them to move forward with certain pre-approved standard language and standard structures that work. And you can say you are empowered to move forward with these things. To a certain extent, that's your first step in automating that process. We've done CRM, we've done contract negotiations, we've done contract management, we've talked about CPQ. What's next? Let's move on to the billing system. This could be part of your ERP, or it could be a separate billing system. I know for some companies where they have more of a SaaS model and recurring invoicing, they prefer to have an outside firm such as Zora provide their software. So the billing system, that's really where you're going to get the heart of the information that's going into your revenue automation, your order details. You're going to get your product details, which we'll talk more about in another session. And then also your billing information. So that's really critical to have the data you need set up in that billing system so that it can then flow down to your revenue automation and revenue recognition system. When people are just starting out, often they start in a maybe an accounting system like QuickBooks, which is great for small business. But if they're a startup that's growing quickly, they'll quickly grow out of the functionality in there. And then maybe they move into a NetSuite or something like that. Often the billing capabilities of a standard product will not fulfill all of their needs. Particularly, I see this for SaaS companies or any company with subscription-based billing. If you're being billed monthly or quarterly or anything but upfront, it sort of breaks things a little bit and becomes really manual because it's one thing to accept an order, invoice it, and move, and then collect and move on. 
It's another thing to get an order and say, oh, I need to schedule four invoices over the next four quarters. Having to track that over time and make sure that invoices go out and figuring out if those invoices are still valid or correct six months later, it's really challenging and it seems like it should be easy, but it turns out it's not. For a long time, I saw people coming up with internally developed systems or workarounds, trying to work with the system they had. But more and more, I'm seeing a lot of solutions that actually automate that process. This is like a big area that I think can be underestimated. When people underestimate the importance of the billing, and to your point, often really important details are flowing through that billing system that then will flow into a revenue recognition engine it's really important not to discount the importance of getting your billing system right. Sounds like there's really two large pieces of information that you're going to have to capture. One is the complete order. What are all of the products and the pricing and the service terms? And then you have the billing piece of it. You're setting up your revenue based on the order, but you're determining your deferred revenue based on the billings. Both of those have to come through. And then there may be another piece if you have a physical product where you have to track the shipping of it. So at least the shipping has to also be somewhere in there. Well, and sometimes those things are related. A lot of times provisioning software licenses or initiating an invoice can be dependent on shipping out hardware. Your provisioning and your delivery is often closely related to your billing system Often automating that is an important part of the process too, because revenue is dependent on delivery and not invoicing. So sometimes, you know, I've seen companies where their provisioning and their invoicing, it theoretically happens within days of each other, but their provisioning happening happens manually. Theoretically, it's happening on the same day, but then someone goes on a vacation, they get busy, there's a holiday, and all of a sudden there's a difference. That's another area where automating that can really ease the administrative burden, not only from the actual provisioning side of it, but from the downstream impact and implications to revenue recognition. The two things there that I think about is, you know, if you have shipping terms where it's different than the date you provision it or ship it, like FOB destination, how are you going to track that? Is that going to be outside the system where you adjust for revenue Or because you have this contract management application, is that logic somehow feeding into your revenue automation? The other one that I think a lot of companies struggle with are prepaids and prepaid burndowns. So you've invoiced up front, but how do you really track whether it be usage or delivery? How are you going to get that information so that you can recognize revenue properly? I am always amazed with that topic. Over and over again, I see companies want to do this where they say, hey, this customer wants to give me money. Let's do it. Let's get as much money as we can from the customer. And I understand that from a business perspective and a sales perspective. But ultimately, just because we invoice them and collect on it, if they don't have an order associated with it, you haven't actually sold anything and you can't recognize any revenue. So That's a great point of these upfront payments that will live and exist in your billing system. How does that flow through the rest of the way? I think that what that highlights is the importance of all of these systems working together to give you a full picture. 
Well, I'm even thinking about prepaids where they're invoiced and we've committed to deliver. And how do you track? Particularly usage. Like I see companies where they'll sell, basically it's a bundle say, hey, for this amount of money, you can have any combination of these products and we'll just draw down as you go through. Usage-based as well. You know, you've prepaid for X number of minutes at a discount, but how do you track that? Professional services is the same way. A lot of times you'll get that upfront fee and depending on how involved it is, you may have to recognize a portion over multiple periods or you may have to delay it until it's completed. Any usage-based fees in general can be really difficult because whether it's paid up front and you're drawing down or you're billing in arrears based on actual activity, that's where your billing system has to somehow tie into part of the product itself wherever it's measuring the usage. Somewhere that usage has to be measured or metered and that metering of the products needs to tie into your billing system. And you need to have a lot of trust in the validity and the credibility of that data coming through because it's going to generate an invoice. And so that's where you have to work really closely together in order to automate that process. Otherwise, you're going to have a nightmare of a month end where you're manually figuring out what's the agreed upon usage for each and every client and then feeding that somehow into a billing system and then verifying and reviewing all your bills and your invoices before sending them out. People do it. It exists in spreadsheets. That's where everyone starts. But you do want to, as soon as you're able to reasonably do it and get that verifiable, credible data flow to automate that. Because otherwise you have more people in accounting than you do anywhere else in your organization. Yeah. And usually the revenue team is short staffed. I was just going to say it highlights that your quote unquote revenue team is also made up of people on the order side, people on the AR side, billing, collections, all working together to push out those revenue numbers at the end of the day, because revenue is dependent on order information. Revenue is dependent on billing information. Without the combination of those two things, you don't have accurate numbers. I remember one of my clients, the team that managed all the SKUs, every month we'd take a look at the SKUs and then there are a few they probably had to tweak so that we could have the information properly. One quarter end, there was a young girl had started and she's like, oh, I have other priorities. And I just looked at her, I said, the whole company's priority is revenue. It's number one on the P&L. And what you do ties directly into that. So I need you to prioritize this so that we can close the books. It flows through everything. It really does. Depending on the stage of the company, some companies are more focused on bookings, but even bookings are probably dependent on getting your SKU list right. And then other companies, it's revenue, you know, later stage when they're more focused on revenue than bookings. So we've got CRM, we've got contract negotiations, we've got contract management, we've got our configure price quote or CPQ, talked about billing. We're finally ready to talk about our revenue recognition engine. (laughs) And most of that we're going to talk about in subsequent episodes because there's a lot to talk about. You're, You're right. The only thing we can highlight here without spending four hours talking about it is that this comes after all those other things. Your revenue recognition is dependent on what you put into it. Garbage in, garbage out is one of the phrases that I've heard over and over again when working on revenue automation projects. If you can't get the right information into your revenue recognition engine, you're not going to get correct information out. That's just how it works. 
there's two pieces really to it is your data coming in, where you're getting it, how it's presented. And then within the application, what are you going to do with it? And that's where the configuration comes in. And you've already alluded to, we'll have a whole nother, maybe we'll see if we can fit it into one episode about how you configure it. But when we say, what are you going to do with it? Or how are you going to do it? You're talking about revenue recognition and configuring it to say, okay, what do we do with this SKU? Is this overtime or point in time? What do we do with these bundles? How do we apply SSP? How do we think about modifications? How do we think about contract combinations? All of those questions that are part of the guidance going through the five-step process can be captured in a revenue recognition engine. Your particular company with your particular products, with your particular policies in place will dictate how that is set up. Once you have that revenue recognition automation, one thing I find is at least the ones I've seen tend not to have a point in time functionality. And what that does is if you at any time want to go back and reconcile back to your deferred revenue balances, it's hard to do that. Many companies I see, not only for that reason, but also to facilitate reporting, they'll have a data warehouse. So somewhere where at the end of the month, they take a snapshot of all that data, and then they can use other tools like maybe Tableau or something to do the reporting, or they may use SQL queries to pull out information in certain certain ways to analyze it. So that data warehouse is a really nice tool to facilitate all that reporting and all that review that you now have time to do because you're not spending all your time in this this spreadsheet allocating revenue. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of it is now you have all this data, you have all the information and you can actually analyze it and say, does this make sense? I've been in situations many times before where I do all this work, I put the numbers out and I've been so deep in the details that someone else looks at it and asks a very obvious question. That means there's very obviously an error. And I sit there and go, yep, that's a good question. Totally makes sense. I obviously have an error. Let me get back to you. And that's the consequence of being in the details. You don't get the chance to take a step back in the way that you do when most of the process is automated. Then you get to take a step back and say, does this make sense? How does this look? Can I analyze this in a way that gives me more of a gut check and I can identify the problems easier because I'm not so stuck in figuring out the relative selling price method calculation manually in a spreadsheet, you know, just to make an allocation entry. Oh yeah. I remember you and I both did this. We'd have to go through the contract, go into the GL, make whatever updates necessary to properly recognize revenue for every contract. It's not a good use of time. You know, if you can automate some of that. It's air prone. I mean, we're humans. And in some ways, I think this requires a human touch and it requires critical thinking and it requires interpretation. There's just so many opportunities for error. And so automating it is not only more efficient use of your team, it's also more accurate, particularly if you have a high volume flow of contracts. We have our data warehouse. Now we actually get to report our numbers. The final step, the GL, general ledger. Most of my clients use NetSuite or Oracle as their ERP. And that's the source of the truth when it comes to their general ledger. 
Often I see the entries being made at a summary or high level and the revenue recognition engine being the revenue subledger or the source of the detailed truth. But I have seen more detailed approaches where more of that information makes it back into the geo. Well, and even when you have a revenue automation system, I find that's never the only entry. There's always other journal entries either to take care of some kind of reserve for maybe return rights or refunds or variable consideration, whatever the case may be. There's always going to be some other journal entries on top of what you're getting out of the system. Well, and that's all like a a choice too. And what's your policy on how you're going to make those entries? Is it, okay, here's revenue recognized. Here's the allocations on top of that. And you have to look at both of them together to get to your true revenue, or are you going to book them all together? So there's lots of different ways to book those entries. But to your point, it's never just one entry. With all of these systems, you can have them automatically flow through or you can manually feed them. And I see different people have very visceral responses one way or the other. Interestingly, some people want to get the data out of their CRM and manually upload it into their ERP. Some people want to take their billing system information and manually update it in their ERP if their billing system is outside of their ERP. And then with the revenue recognition engine, also some people can have that entry automated, but others say, no, no, I don't want my revenue recognition engine touching my GL. I want to manually pull that out and book that journal entry. I see the merit in both. I have a bias a little bit towards automating because I think less work, the better. But I understand people want to get their hands on the data before it starts messing around in their system. One of the challenges I find with closing out a revenue application system versus the GL, sometimes you're waiting to finalize some of the decisions on revenue recognition before you can make those adjusting entries. You may have to close your revenue automation system period so that the GL can do some work and then book an entry directly to the GL. So there's a timing issue that needs to be thought about in how the data and when the data flows between the systems. Well, I think that wraps up our discussion of all the different systems that play into that revenue automation. I think so too. I mean, there's so much to talk about here and I'm excited to get into the next few episodes on it because there's really a lot that lives in each of these systems and it's so fun to nerd out on all of it. (laughs) And we're so glad everyone is nerding out with us. This concludes our episode. Stay tuned bi-weekly as we talk all things revenue recognition. You can be notified of new episodes and other information by following us on LinkedIn. Feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome through LinkedIn or by emailing us at revregals.com. Thanks for listening. The examples discussed are based on specific company dynamics. Check in with your auditors before making changes to your current processes. Specializing in revenue recognition may result in employment for life. Please consult your friends and family before pursuing this career.